You're listening to the official podcast of the Libertarian Party of Georgia. Learn about local issues, meet candidates, and find out what we're doing to bring more options to Georgia voters. Now here's your host. Welcome to the Georgia Liberty Cast. Uh, I'm your host, Ryan Graham. I am the chair of the Libertarian Party of Georgia. And uh, this week we've got a little bit something, something a little bit different for you. Usually it's been uh, Laura and I talking about local news. Uh, and this, this week, we're going to do an interview with one of our candidates. Uh, Martin Cowan is the Libertarian candidate for U.S. House in District 13. He is a plaintiff in our ongoing appeal over ballot access for federal candidates in Georgia, uh, federal uh, nonpartisan or not, not Republican or Democrat candidates, I should say, political body or independent candidates. And um, he's newly a plaintiff in a lawsuit that just got filed regarding petitioning requirements during the COVID-19 pandemic. I won't get into that. I'll let him get into it. But how are you doing today? Hey, Ryan. Martin Cowan here. So glad to be with you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad you could make it. So um, could you, uh, I guess, interestingly enough, you know, we talk about this a lot on the, on the podcast and in our blog and everywhere else, but can you just tell me a little bit about the petitioning requirements in Georgia? They're impossible and they're intended to be impossible. Uh, I, I ran in 2018 and I collected, I think my number was 693, 693 signatures. I was required to get something over 20,000 signatures. And of course, my petition was denied, uh, was, was cast out as being inadequate. This year, this year in 2020, 2020 uh, because of the increase in the number of voters in the uh, Georgia District 13, my number has gone up to a number over 24,000 signatures, which is a practical impossibility. And of course, the, uh, the powers that be intended to be impossible because they don't want third party or independent candidates to be on the ballots. Yeah, it's an interesting double-edged sword where you hear about people that, you know, the re- voter registration is, is skyrocketing in Georgia and that's been celebrated. And um, I, I, by all means, celebrate that. But one of the things that ends up effect that ends up affecting is um, it, you know, our requirement is 5% of all active registered voters. So the more registered voters there are, the more signatures we have to get. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's really tough. And, and as you mentioned in the introduction, I'm the party to two lawsuits in Georgia. One that we filed, I think in 2017, prior to the, um, you know, the 2018 run. And then another lawsuit that we just filed last week or this week, I'm not, I, I lose, lose track of time here. Um, last week, know, last week when this podcast goes out, <laughs> last week, uh, because of the, uh, beca- basically based on the COVID, uh, sequestration or isolation rules, you know, you know, this, and now it's literally impossible to, to do the signature collection. So, you know, I filed this lawsuit. Well, I, I participated in filing the lawsuit, uh, trying to get that, you know, completely thrown out. Although there, there are some subtleties to it, which we can talk about in a minute. Yeah, I mean, can you tell us a little bit about some of the concerns with um, petitioning? I mean, I, I think it's apparent to people who are listening, but, you know, if you could go ahead and elaborate on some of the concerns. Well, you know, one of the, you know, petitioning is is a horror, period. I mean, uh, I did it in 2018 uh, with some of our uh, libertarian friends, and we were out there day after day after day, and it's just, just, uh, it's just an impossible situation. I mean, you've come across all kinds of unpleasant circumstances, and you know, uh, while generally people, if you get to the door are pleasant, the, the number of no trespassing signs on people's doors is, is amazing. 
uh, and, and, and sometimes they have no, you know, no soliciting and uh, there are all kinds of restrictions. So it's very, very difficult to do the petitioning. So, um, you know, that's just a simple part of it. But just, just to take an example this year. This year, okay, I decided that, you know, it's only reasonable for me. I can't get 24,000, but I can make a good faith effort. So I'm going to try to hit the same number I hit in 2018 with, uh, I think I had 43 helpers and we got 693 signatures or something like that. So I decided, okay, well, I'm going to aim for 800 this year. So I said, okay, I'll write letters to my neighbors, my, my immediate neighbors who have seen me, you know, last year in 2018 and who know me generally. And so I wrote out over a thousand letters, you know, within a, a month or, you know, six weeks ago or something like that saying, look, friends, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be at your door again. Remember, I came in 2018. I'm coming again, and I'm going to ask for your signature, a thousand letters. And of course, all that's down the toilet. There's just, I mean, I can't literally, I literally can't legally go door to door because we have this six foot separation rule in, in place. And if I knock on the door, they'd be well, you know, they would be entirely appropriate by saying, get the heck out of my face. I would so, tell anyone uh, but, going door to door to go away uh, without opening the door. Yeah, I would. I would. Yeah. And there's no way I'm going to touch their stupid pen. It's not yeah, that I'm pens, and pens and clipboards and the same paper as uh, well. This year it's ten other people. In previous years it's been fifteen other people. Fifteen signatures per page. Now it's ten year, ten signatures per page. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's a bad idea. And and then uh, to to top it off, um, not to put you out there or anything, but you're in the high risk pool. Yeah, I'm 68 years old. I'm oh. in the kill zone, so to speak. Oh, I didn't want to. I didn't. I wasn't going to put the exact age out there, but you know, you're in the high risk pool, so you're going to yeah. endanger yourself, and you're going to endanger anyone whose door you knock on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, not only did I send out those thousand letters, but you know, I, I have six counties you know, that are my districts, and one of my counties is Douglas. <clears throat> and so, and I only have one entire county, and that's Douglas County. And so what I decided to do was I could, I could really make some, get a lot of signatures if I went to the polling places in Douglas County, because right. nobody that comes to vote in Douglas County is ineligible to sign my petition. Everybody can legally sign. So it'd be just like a gold mine. So I actually traveled out to Douglas County and talked to the election board people and said, well, okay, give me, you know, where can I go? And so they handed me 24, you know, they, they have like 24, precincts that they were going to have on March 24th. And I said, well, you know, I, I'm going to go to one or more of these precincts with my volunteers and collect signatures. And they said, okay, well, we'll give you a picture, uh, you know, an arrow overhead picture of the zones so that you can see which, which are good ones. Now, the reason I had to see that is because I can't get inside the, the there's a 150 foot protection zone and I can't be within, I can't campaign or solicit signatures any closer to the polling place than 150 feet to any outward portion of the building. Right. So what I did was I looked at the pictures and I found um, one polling place that had all of the parking outside the 150 zone. That was a very rare one. Most of them have the parking is within the 150 uh, foot perimeter and you cannot do this at all. Right. So I found one that where I could go. And so I, I went out to the, the, it was a state park in, in Douglas County, and I spoke with the, the director of the state park. It was some kind of, a, it was a swimming pool, some kind of swimming park. And I said, look, I'm going to be coming out here. And uh, then I sent letters, I don't know, 10 or more letters to the county officials saying, look, I'm going to go to your park. 
I'm going to do the thing I have a legal entitled, I'm legally entitled to, to do, which is to solicit signatures on this public space. Please don't harass me or my people. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I just didn't want to have trouble. And so then they canceled. <laughs> they literally canceled the primary, right? March the 24th was canceled. Yeah, they so, moved. Yeah. So, so the March 24th got moved to the May uh, primary. So now we shifted what we thought we would have had two days to do this. Uh, collect a massive amount of signatures got got shifted into one day <laughs> right and so that you know that that entire effort of mine and you know to make that march the 24th thing come to pass it was completely wasted so yeah. i had a thousand letters i had this trip to douglas county and letters following trying to make this all happen and then we've got this uh, quarantine basically going on and so it's it's literally impossible to do the signature collection and for that reason, I thought, well, I should sue. Well, so, um, I mean, before we get to the lawsuit part of it, um, you know, the you, we reached out to the Secretary of State. I know you did, and I did separately. Um, you got a response. Uh, what did the Secretary of State's office offer? They extended the filing date for the petition that I have to file from uh, July the 14th to August the 14th. Um, and... I, from the letter I got, I gathered that that was the, it, they could only do it for a month because after that it was involved, you know, the, the printing of the ballot or some, I think that's what they were saying, is that we can't print the ballot, you know, if we, if we, if we can't, you give me your petition on August the 14th, then we have to count the signatures and we have to do this, that and the other, and then we have to print the ballots and we can't do that unless we have an August the 14th date. So they gave us a 30 day break. And, you know, that's not going to be good because I don't think we're going to be allowed to petition. I don't think we'd be allowed to petition by August 14th based upon the news today. No, we're, we're already um, reaching to the end of April, uh, according to the president. And that's not even according to the CDC, uh, which he's going to be a little more conservative than them, I think, or a little bit more, I should say, he's going to be a little bit more liberal than them. Um, we're basing you know, what we're, what we're doing, uh, whether we can go door to door or whether we can collect signatures at all based on the C CDC saying social distancing is our preferred recommendation to stop the spread of this disease. Right. So, I, I don't think it's going to be po medically, medically possible to do door to do door, door to door petitioning or any kind of petitioning this year at all. Yeah. And therefore I think, you know, the good news is I think our lawsuit will be successful. I'm going to get on the ballot. So yeah. that's, you know, that's good news. I mean, I, I hate to say good news in the context of this horror of this uh, COVID-19 stuff, but a consequence of that is going to be positive and that Martin Cowan is going to be on the, uh, you know, the ballot on November the 3rd, 2020 for uh, Georgia uh, U.S. Representative District 13. And, you know, I'm happy about that. I'm not happy about the wh why it's happening. Yeah. So to be fair to the Secretary of State's office, um, they, they literally, the Georgia Code only empowers them to extend the date and it maxes that out at 45 days. They chose the 31 days, as you said, because um, they, they need time to, to validate the signatures before they can uh, finalize the ballots and get everybody's name on there who needs to be on there. And I think a lot of that does make, indeed make sense. Um, but it's not good enough, as you as you were saying. Like the the disease is 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 you know running rampant right now, and there's not a, a feasible way for us to go door to door. 
And um, to ask for the total amount of signatures in that shortened amount of time is, is completely unreasonable. Um, but again, it's their, their hands are tied by the Georgia code. There's only, they can only do what the law allows them to do. Um, and so uh, what we had decided was we'll get the courts involved, right? So a lawsuit was filed uh, with you, uh, the Green Party candidate for a, a different U.S. congressional district, and the Georgia Green Party uh, on the basis of they are trying to collect signatures to get a president on the ballot. Uh, the Libertarian Party of Georgia will all, already has ballot access for our president, so we had no standing in, in that portion of it. Um, but the Georgia Green Party is fighting for that. So um, they have, you know, joined in on this. And so, um, you know, what what exactly are we seeking in this lawsuit? Our great lawyer uh, is actually seeking a very reasonable solution. And with that solution is a, um, a prorated signature thing. And so what he's asking for is a is to reduce the signature requirement to uh, a number uh, a number determined by multiplying a certain fraction by 24,000 signatures. And the fraction is to be determined by the number of days from uh, the time the CDC says, okay, you can now hug and kiss again, or, or petition, let's put it that way. Uh, the day the CDC says that, that day, and plus seven, and the between between the file the filing final filing date August fourteenth. So if if the CDC says on August the sixth that you can now touch each other again and and be closer than six feet, that would be you add seven days. That would give us one day for petitioning. And so what the what the lawsuit is asking is that the signature requirements be one over one hundred and eighty times. Uh, 24,000 signatures. I didn't do the math, but, <laughs> but you know, that's going to be a smaller number by far yeah. than 28,000. I don't know. Well, a lot to get done in one day. <laughs> I, you know, a lot to get done in one day. And, you know, the funny thing, I mean, it's not funny at all. You know, I actually had collected a few signatures before, nothing, nothing significant, but um, what I, what I did, um, uh, what they, what the secretary of state did is they even, you know, they had the wrong petition. They changed the petition mid-signatures for me. You know, I, I started circulating, I don't know, sometime in January, and then they changed the form of the petition uh, yeah. from the 15 signatures, you know, you know, in, in one format, and then it's now 10 signatures in another format. And to be fair with them, I, you know, I wrote them and complained about it, and they said, oh, we'll accept that old petition, but, you know, that wasn't good enough for me, so I started. So I started from scratch and started recollecting. Yeah, um, I, I, I've been a little bit a part of some of those conversations um, because those uh, the the signature the the petitions themselves the forms are all developed by the Secretary of State based on the Georgia Code. Um, they can they, the Georgia Code doesn't actually make them ask for nearly as much as they they are asking for, but it does empower them to decide what that form looks like. And um, they did change it mid mid. Uh, cycle and then they also i think it's different for independents and for you for political body candidates uh, i think they I still think have the 15 right. signature and you had the 10 signature yeah I, I, the, the, one of the independent uh, you know people, activists called me and said they changed it's different for you than for me yeah and, uh, by, by the way i just did the math 100 one over 180 times twenty four thousand is 133 signatures all right I, 
Now, I might be able to collect 133 signatures in a day. We'd all knock that out. We would we'll, do that. We'd we'll have 43 helpers. Yeah. So if I only have one day, I might be able to do it. Um, well, and that's a little bit telling because that means that's how many signatures you'd have to get per day in a very standard year, right? You'd have to go out there and get that many signatures per day. Yeah, you're a math man. That's amazing. Yeah, you're right. I didn't think that, but you're exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, which makes it even more. I know. I know you and I both did signature collection uh, in 2018. You know, and if we got 15 in a day as an individual circulator, that was a miracle. And I don't know that I ever got 15 in a single day personally. Well, it was it was it was wildly different. So even in your district, um, I could be in in Marietta or like Cobb County in your district. And I, I was collecting probably 20 to 30 signatures over like three or four hours. And then I went down to the south end of your district down in like Henry County. And uh, I think it's Henry County, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was I collected about three signatures in three hours. Um, it's just a, a insane difference. I don't you know, I don't know what the deal was, if it was, you know, some somehow I looked or just to whether or not people open doors or not, like there were just a lot of extra problems. So um, yeah, we have some, I mean, there's some rough areas in, our, in, in my district. One neighborhood that we went to and spent a lot of time in, I took photographs of 15, no, literally no trespassing signs on the curb. You know, you yeah. can't even get to the door. Well, and what people don't realize is, um, so no soliciting, we're, we're actually, um, we don't have to listen to that going door to door for petitioning is not considered soliciting by Georgia law. And so you can technically go knock on those doors, but that's, it's, it's this distinction that people that put up that sign don't know and they don't care about, right? When they put up that sign, they don't want you knocking on their door. Right. Well, you know, and you're making that fine legal distinction. I'm saying, I'm saying not merely no soliciting, they have a no trespassing. Well, sign. No trespassing. Don't do it. <laughs> I don't, I don't cross a no trespassing sign. I didn't cross a no soliciting sign either. I mean, yeah. some, some people are willing to do a no cross and no soliciting, but I'm not, you know, I'm not willing to do either, but no trespassing is a lot worse. No, you're just not likely to get a signature when it says no soliciting. You can oh, tell no. them, no, I'm allowed to be here all day, but they're still pissed off you're there and right. <laughs> telling you to get off their property. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's tough. It's really, really tough. Um, you know, <laughs> so maybe we'll, you know, I, I, the other, you, I, you know, I don't know if you said this, but uh, we have another law. The first lawsuit that we filed, that is the Libertarian Party of Georgia, me and three other individuals, uh, was filed in 2017. And we're just trying to get the whole thing declared unconstitutional. Right. And that's actually going to be argued on May the 19th of 20. So, you know, what is that? Uh, it's about six weeks from now. And I'm really excited about that because not our lawyer and the state did not ask for argument. The court said, y'all come up here and talk to us about this, which is, a, I'm a lawyer. In case your listeners don't know, I've been a lawyer for, uh, what, I don't know, 20, 45 years I've been a lawyer. And when the court asked to hear argument, that's significant. Yeah. They're saying something's here and we care about it and we want to hear from it. So I think we're going to win this, the other lawsuit too. I mean, the current lawsuit, the one that we just filed, that'll just be good for me and the, the candidate and the, and the Green Party. It's a one-off thing, right? You know, that only, that is only valid for the, COVID-19. Right. It's, no, it's not a precedent of any kind. It's just one off. You know, it'll help us in this time. And, um, but it doesn't make a, a long range difference. If we win the first lawsuit, the one that's going to be argued in the court of, 
feels on 2020, uh, May, May the 19th, 2020, that's going to make a big difference. Right. That'll make a difference for going forward. Yeah. You know, the, the thing about, you know, the, the legislature didn't, the, the reason we filed this lawsuit was back in 2017, I think, or the Green Party and the Constitution Party won a, a lawsuit uh, trying to get the presidential thing changed from 50,000 to 7,500, and they were successful. But the irony of it is that the legislature did nothing, nothing to change that. I mean, it's still, you know, they just ignored what the court did, although the requirement is still 7,500. Yeah, so for president, 7,500 signatures to get on the ballot, and for you, it's 24,000 in a district, in a, in a smaller race. Right, that's, that's why it's, it's so obvious to a lay, it seems to me just so obvious to a layperson that there's something really wrong with that. Yeah. That's absolutely. why I think we'll win. I think that's why we'll win. Absolutely. Um, so <clears throat> the interesting thing about that case is the Secretary of State is, you know, opposing us. They, they, of course, do not have to oppose us in any lawsuit. They could just say, yeah, you know, they're right. And, uh, you know, <laughs> whatever the whim of the court is, we'll just, uh, we'll allow it. Um, and so that one, they're opposing us and they're putting up a defense. Um, in this one, we haven't heard back from the Secretary of State's office yet, um, but they don't have to oppose. Do, what, what do you think about that? Do you think they will? Uh, I think it's I think it's at least a 50-50 chance that they'll settle. You know, my lawyer, our lawyer, uh, sent a settlement agreement to him that described the you know the fractional argument that I gave you just now uh, and put it in a consent order. And I see no reason why they shouldn't sign that. I mean, it doesn't do them any harm. I mean, it, and even if I get on the ballot, it's only one-off thing. Uh, so it doesn't affect any long-range thing. And it's 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 fairly simplistic. I mean, duh. <laughs> You ought to let this happen. Yeah, it would affect a couple dozen down ballot um, candidates because it would affect all political body and independent candidates. Um, the Libertarian Party only has, you know, one districted petition requiring candidate, and that's you, Martin. Uh, and then the Green Party is trying to get the president on. They've got a U.S. Congress, and I, they may have some down ballots. But I know there's a plethora of independent candidates down ballot. Uh, for various, you know, state house, state senate, things like that, and that that would affect them. But it's very finite, <clears throat> so you wouldn't have this rush of people to the uh, to to get qualified. We're already qualified. We're we're out petitioning. Well, we're not petitioning now, but um, it wouldn't allow more people to sign up to be on the ballot. So what it, what's there is what's there. It's a cup. It's a couple dozen. I think you know two or three dozen candidates. Uh, I didn't dig super deep down um, down on the on the the list of things, but. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is most offices in Georgia go unopposed year in and year out. And so you're going to mostly have two people on the ballot. You're just going to have a Republican or Democrat and an independent or, you know, green or libertarian. So it's, it's not it's not going to be this crazy, confusing time. There's just going to be, you know, mostly two candidates across the board. <laughs> so, well, you know, you mentioned that. I mean, one of the reasons I'm so interested in my race, District 13, is because my opponent has has been unopposed, through, I think three times in the you know the number of years he's been number of many many years that he's been in there. Uh, when I ran last time, he had he had one Republican opponent, and I don't think he had any Democratic opponent. Maybe he had two. There were two Republicans and he, and then and me. But this time there are seven candidates in my race, which is just amazing. I mean, I don't understand what the heck's going on there. I mean, it's he's an incumbent. He has primary opposition on the Democrat side. Uh, I think there are four Republicans running and there's me. So that's seven people running. 
for the District 13 race. And I just, you know, something's going on. I don't, you know, I don't know what the underlying story there is, but there's an underlying story. Yeah, I've heard rumblings from Democrats that they think David Scott's a little too conservative for their taste, which is probably good for you um, in terms of, uh, or good for the Libertarian Party as, as coming up with a, you know, a viable third option between like two extremes where if David Scott is considered too conservative, then, you know, it's just a, a proof of the the polarization that's going on right now. So um, that's yeah, I don't know, but it's exciting. I mean, it's exciting. I mean, I, I, I just briefly mentioned my my strategy is this. Um, obviously, the the primary will filter out the Democrat and the the primary and the primary runoff will filter out the one of the two Democrats and and uh, and one of the four uh, Republicans. And so there will be a Republican, a Democrat, and a Libertarian on the November 3rd ballot. My strategy is to beat the Republican, but for the he, for he or she and I to get 51% of the vote. And so if I beat the Republican in the, uh, in November, in the general election, uh, and we keep him uh, from getting a majority of the votes, then it's going to be Martin Cowan versus the opponent, the Democratic opponent, in the January the 5th, 2021 runoff. And the, the interest that will, there will be so much interest in that race. I mean, I think there'll be national interest. I think all kinds of money would be brought to bear in the case. You know, I think there's a real chance I could win um, uh, uh, in the present circumstances. I'm excited about that because, you know, it, you know, I, I, the, the time has come. And I think uh, I very well, and the next time this year, I may be in Congress. <laughs> well, and, and, and to be clear, if anyone's frustrated about us causing runoffs, um, there is almost assuredly going to be a runoff uh, in January this year with the Senate special election. Uh, I think there are 21 candidates who qualified for that, only one libertarian, uh, and then just a, just, a, just a boatload of Republicans and Democrats and a few independents, and all of them are going to be on the ballot. So... Uh, there is almost no way that any single one of them will get 50% plus one of the vote. And there will already be a statewide uh, special election or a runoff election. And so we're not, we're not driving up the costs by running candidates. <laughs> Ryan, I don't know if you noticed this, but I learned yesterday that the uh, congressional district in Georgia 14 has, uh, I think, 10 candidates. Goodness gracious. There are 10 candidates running in 14. I mean, they've got some Republicans and Democrats. I think probably mostly Republicans, maybe eight Republicans, though, and two Democrats. I, you know, it's just amazing. I mean, what the heck is going on? I think yeah. that guy must have resigned or something, so it's an empty seat. When there are open seats, yeah, that happens. I know seven is open, uh, and 14 might be that other one that's open, and then nine is Doug Collins' uh, seat, which is going to be open now. So there's there are a number of open seats in Georgia, but you know, yours isn't, so it's a little little strange. Yeah, but everybody wants to get in there because you know, things are going so badly. We want to yeah. fix them. So um, I, 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 I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, I think we've covered the lawsuit and petitioning enough. Um, we have a little bit of time left, I think. So um, I, I, I've been meaning to get you know more candidates on the podcast and, and do some interviews and talk about issues. So um, if you have a minute, you know, tell us about your number one issue. What, what's your one issue that you would run on if you could on only pick? On a scale of one to ten, where ten is the most important, <clears throat> Anti-war, you know, doing away with the foreign wars of America is my number is my most important issue. Um, you know, I've been hammering on that for the last two and a half years that I've been running 
I'm extremely concerned about the uh, America's foreign wars. The one that's really annoy annoying to me is the Yemen war. Um, and, you know, it's just a horror. Um, and so I'm really, really opposed to undeclared foreign wars. I emphasize undeclared foreign wars. We haven't had a declared war since World War II. And it's just amazing. And of course, the reason for that is that the Congress in general are all cowards and they don't want to take a stand and say, you know, okay, you know, we declare war against Yemen and we want to kill all those children. Uh, they're, they're not willing to do that. They're just perfectly happy to have uh, President Barack Obama say, okay, Saudis, you know, massacre some children for me today. Uh, so uh, the undeclared war thing is really, really big for me. That's uh, absolutely number one. You know, I don't know, we have like 200,000, 200,000 troops deployed overseas right now. And, um, you know, I'd bring them all home. Absolutely, every one of them home. Even the ones in South Korea, the ones in Germany, the ones in wherever, Japan, you know, all over the Middle East. You know, that's a little bit much. I mean, if we could bring back half of them, that would be an achievement though, right? I mean, I think, I think the argument can be made very easily for like Germany and Italy and Spain and, you know, all these other countries that are completely peacetime. Like, would we want their bases in America? Like, absolutely not. We, we, would, we would consider that absurd if they even asked us to build a base here. And so it's, it's pretty silly that we're there. And it should be a pretty, pretty easy, it should be a slam dunk to just say, you know, we're going we're gonna to pull these guys out. So yeah, and you know, in, in the current environment where we've just spent two trillion dollars on COVID, right? <laughs> I think we spend one trillion dollars a year for the for for the troops for for military defense, and so now we've just tossed another two trillion onto the fire uh, for uh, for COVID. You know, I think at some point we're going to say, well, gee, maybe we can't afford two hundred thousand troops overseas. Let's bring some of those back, half or all. Uh, so I, I think there may be a change in the foreign wars uh, just because of the the new budgetary picture. So that's my number one issue. And I, you know, I'm constantly concerned about that. Um, and then, you know, the way down, I mean, there's so many other issues uh, that everybody's concerned about, but all the other issues that everybody's concerned about for me. Uh, so 10 is the most important. Everything else is a one for me. You know, everything else just fades in importance. So you're like a single issue candidate. <laughs> right. Almost a single issue candidate, but my number one is, not, this is confusing because number one sounds like the most important, but on the scale of one to 10, where 10 is the highest, my lowest important issue, but it's still really important, is healthcare. And so, you know, and healthcare is really showing up right now. Oh my God, think about all the things the FDA is doing wrong right now, the CDC is doing wrong. It's not really highly publicized, but they're stopping, they're stopping the manufacture of these masks and they're stopping the, uh, the use of the, the various various you know treatments that are available and you know there and the, the, you know of course we have this thing where for example Massachusetts said okay doctors that are approved and you know licensed to practice in other states say New York you can also practice in Massachusetts I mean why on earth would there be uh, a limitation on a perfectly good doctor from any one of the 50 states practicing in medicine uh, medicine in Massachusetts other than to protect the, you know, protect the local doctors. So, so uh, uh, a f funny uh, thing of note, uh, Governor Kemp also uh, is giving temporary licenses to nurses that have been licensed out of state. So if you can prove that you've been, uh, you've got a license, uh, you're a licensed nurse from out of the state, 
no questions asked, they'll just give you a temporary license during this uh, state of emergency that's going on. So it's happening closer to home than, than Massachusetts. <laughs> right. Well, you know, the point, though, is, is that all those regulations have no purpose, have no health and safety purpose. They're solely designed to keep the, you know, to protect them, to protect the providers. And that, that's my, you know, my claim about healthcare is that it's a, that it's a, you know, it, that it's a coercive government monopoly. And that's why all the prices are so ridiculously elevated, because that's the purpose of all healthcare regulation is to protect healthcare providers. Right. And my, my, my favorite example, which I don't know whether it's the easiest one to understand, but it's something called CON law, C-O-N, which stands for Certificate of Need. Yeah. And what that is, is if you want to, you know, and you can install an MRI machine of a certain value in Atlanta, before you can do that, you have to ask the state of Georgia permission to install this medical equipment. And of course, the reason is, is because they want to protect the hospital that's right next door that needs to amortize this old piece of crap machine that they had uh, that they, for which they paid a million dollars and they're still trying to amortize it off by charging high prices for their services. And yep. they don't want some upstart to come in there and buy the brand new equipment for a quarter of a million dollars and do the same thing at a much better, uh, you know, much better quality for, you know, $50. And uh, it's, it's, it's worse than you've described because uh, the state of Georgia has also created committees to approve such purchases and services, and those committees are comprised of your soon-to-be competitors. Right, yeah, so all the competitors say, no, nah, we don't need another machine to compete with my machine, let's get them out of here. Yeah. So, you know, people don't understand that the, the, the government is not our friend when it comes to the price of healthcare. Their only function, the only function of most regulation is to keep the prices high for the service providers. People have no understanding of that. They blame, they blame whoever they blame, but they're wrong. It's the government's fault. So that's my number two issue. It's really, really important, um, and I'd love to see some, you know, greater reductions in the healthcare regulations. If not total free enterprise in healthcare, but you know, that's that's a pipe dream for a hundred years hence. Yeah, neither here nor there, right? We can't we can't get there in our lifetimes, but uh, probably not even in my kids' lifetime. But you know, we can fight for it. <laughs> yeah. I have a third issue, which I like it a lot because it's really a popular issue, and it's the issue of uh, student loans. So, you know, I, I was walking, you know, doing door to door in 2018, and I walked up to this house. Three people were sitting in the front yard, and I started talking to them, and the husband, the wife, and the daughter. The wife and the daughter both had student loans, and I think they had like something like $200,000 alone between yeah. the two of them. And then, of course, the collectors were after after them. And mom said that the collector called me and said, well, and the, neither of the people were employed substantially. I think maybe the daughter had some, you know, Starbucks job or some minimum wage job. And mom was saying that the collector said, you know, you got to pay $4,000 a month. And of course, mother and daughter have nothing, anything remotely like that. And they said, we're basing this on your husband's income. And she said, well, he didn't incur these loans. It's just my loan and my daughter's loan. And she, and the collector said, well, divorce him. So, so people hate these student loans. And my, my solution is this. And I actually have a good friend who's a bankruptcy lawyer, and he thought this was a great idea. You know, it's not been so many years ago that student loans, loans were bankrupt. You know, if you just say, if you have too much loans and you're overextended, you know, you could just, you know, years past, you could say, I'm filing bankruptcy and I'm going to discharge the debt or come up with a payment plan through the bankruptcy court. 
the federal law has changed to protect the uh, lenders. So now you cannot bank bankrupt a, uh, a federal student loan unless you do all kinds of stuff, which is almost impossible to do, like petitioning. Um, and so my solution to the student loan program is different from any that I've heard, and that is simply return that debt to the status of a standard bankruptable debt, just like a medical bill that you can't pay or, you know, I don't know, a car debt that you can't pay, whatever. Uh, just, just make it, and that way, and my, my, law, my bankruptcy lawyer friend says, look, we have an entire infrastructure, which is the bankruptcy court and the trustee system, that can handle these cases on a one-case-by-case one -case basis and make individual determinations whether or not it's dischargeable and what the reasonable payments would be and solve the problem that way. And I think it's a brilliant solution. I mean, well, the, the, the problem is these lenders aren't able to assess risk uh, they're mandated to give out these loans to people who are even high risk. So it's pretty tough on them when they, you know, if they assess a high risk person and they're saying that's how you would keep some of these costs down for bankruptcy. And, uh, you know, so there's a lot, a lot of problems in the way of that. Um, not to say that it's not a good solution, uh, but there's just a lot of extra pieces to that puzzle that need to get into place. Well, I think the government is the, either the, the government is the lender these days because Private banks are totally out of it. I think they, they private bank got out of it in 2010, if I'm not incorrect. I think it depends. Um, I had I had a combination of public and private. Um, I mean, in, by public is uh, like Sally Mae and Freddie Mac, I think. And those are technically, quote unquote, private, but they're public sus subsidized to such a degree. Well, um, but you can also go through a private bank and get them, I, I believe. But I, you know what? I've been out of school since 2010, so... Maybe it's well, changed. You know, I think I think the, what happened was the, the the loans were guaranteed by the government. So if they if they end up being discharged, it's going to fall on the government on the government and thereby on the taxpayers. So I recognize there will be that consequence that it'll end up being a the government will have to pay it somehow, and the taxpayers will be screwed again. Uh, so but the, understand there's a problem. But the incentive will be back to be a little bit more discerning about who we give the loans to and for what. So if somebody goes in and says you know, I want to major in underwater basket weaving, then maybe they don't get a loan because the return on investment on that is going to be, you know, zero. Yeah. That person is going to go bankrupt, you know? Right. Well, that, you know, that's how you can tell it's a, it's, it's a fraud in the government program because nobody, nobody, not even a parent, well, maybe a parent, uh, would loan money to these kids in the at the levels they are. No, who, who would give a $20,000 loan to a 20-year-old kid? I don't know anybody. Nobody would give a $20,000 loan to a 20-year-old kid unless the government made it non-bankruptable, unless, unless they guaranteed the loan. So it's a total fraud on the kids from the get-go. Right. All right. Well, um, I think that's uh, pretty good. Um, I, I, I think I just had one more question for you, and it's, you know, where can people find out more about you online? Uh, CowanforCongress.com. <clears throat> Uh, CowanforCongress.com, C-O-W-E-N, and I emphasize the E-N <laughs> because I already got a code violation call from some guy, from the guy in 14, whose name is spelled otherwise, C-O-W-A-N, and they code, the code guy said, you have a sign on the right of way, fix it, and I said, I am C-O-W-E-N, <laughs> I am C-O-W-E-N, Cowan for Congress. I also am on Twitter, ML Cowan, uh, at ML Cowan, I also have a Facebook page, Cowan for Congress. So all those ways, you know, CowanforCongress.com is the best way. C-O-W-E-N. <laughs> I don't want you to give any money to that 14 guy. 
Yeah. And you're, you're very active on Twitter. Uh, you've had a couple of, of tweets go, go pretty major uh, recently. It's been kind of fun to see. So, uh, but uh, yeah, you're always, always tweeting, tweeting out a storm. It's a tweet. Yeah, that's fun. That's what the kids say. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. It's fun to be fun to have that stuff happen. You know, to get those, you know, what we call viral tweets. Those are from, yeah. Yeah. I've had a, you know, I have, you know, I have a small follow following, but you know, I've had a, a really sp huge spike in, you know, following just because of those huge, because of those, those five viral tweets. We have two since you tagged LP Georgia in those tweets. So I've, I've noticed an uptick there too. <clears throat> yeah. All that's fun. So um, yeah, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap things up. You can also find us, uh, the Libertarian Party of Georgia at LP Georgia on Twitter, uh, Libertarian Party of Georgia on Facebook. Um, if you have any questions or comments or you want to hear us talk about anything, you can email us at podcast at LP Georgia, and that's spelled out, Georgia is spelled out, dot com. Um, and then always uh, please review us on you know Stitcher, Apple, Apple, wherever you're getting your podcast from. Um, it helps us in the rankings and more people will be able to listen to us. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's about all I got. Um, it's been a pleasure, Martin. Thank you for coming on. My pleasure, Ryan. Thank you so much. Enjoy your isolation. Bye, y'all. You've been listening to the official podcast of the Libertarian Party of Georgia. The theme song for this episode was Metaltania by Kevin MacLeod, released to the public domain through freepd.com. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate us and leave a review. You can email the show's producers at podcast at lpgeorgia.com. If you're a libertarian in the state of Georgia, don't forget to find your local affiliate at lpgeorgia.com.